park here in verse 16 uh, for this week and next week and uh, look at this wonderful verse. Let's start reading in verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And um, we're going to, again, spend this week and next week in this verse. It's a wonderful verse. It's a verse that sits right here at the very beginning of Romans. The, it, it actually sets the next section of Romans where he's going to now talk about uh, what constitutes and makes up the gospel of Christ. And he's going to do it. We'll start there in verse 17 and we'll work down through it. And uh, he's, he's, Paul is, uh, again, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel there was a thing, maybe it's still a thing, I don't know. The wonderful thing about not belonging to any groups on Facebook is you don't hear all the nonsense that's out there. I tell you what, the guys, they're like, oh, have you seen this? No. Have you seen that? No. Do you want to see it? No. Because just it's just, and there's a thing going around or was going around about why did Paul have to preach the gospel to the saints at Rome? And I'm sitting there going, well, this is the first book of his epistles. He's got to establish the issues of justification first. You only, had, need, you only need five chapters. You only get saved once. And the, and the friend of mine that I was saying that to, he's like, yeah, well, that would have gotten you ripped in these groups. And I'm saying, well, then they, there's a simplicity that's in Christ. And those groups make stuff more complicated than it needs to be. So Paul sits here. And he brings in this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we'll, we will talk about that issue of the Jew first and also to the Greek next time, uh, part of that verse, because that is a thing that we do need to understand about who is really first, okay? But it helps when we talk about the gospel of Christ. And I want to just get that started this morning. We're not going to get everything covered in it because that's what the rest of the chapters and the coming chapters are going to be talking about. And honestly, the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, of Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul uses that term uh, repeatedly it's, uh, and predominantly it's used by Paul. There's only one other passage in the, in the New Testament or that I could find where that gospel of Jesus Christ was used, and it's used over in Mark 1. We're going to go over there in just a minute and look at that. But when Paul talks about the gospel of Christ, the, the, there is some good news about Jesus Christ, and there's no question about that. That there is a body of truth, some information given from the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, when Paul uses the term gospel of Christ, it is actually much deeper than that. It goes to the fact that there is some truth, there's some information that is about Jesus Christ, that concerns the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it, as it concerns his death, burial, and resurrection. So as Paul is ready to reveal some things here about the gospel, he begins by saying Jesus Christ is the subject, he is the object, and it has to do with some good news about him, but it also has to do with some good news about his person and who he is. As, as being revealed by and by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle Paul to us. So right off the bat here, there's an issue of dispensationalism, being understanding where we're at. So when Paul says, he'll, he'll say, my gospel. And when he says that term, my gospel, he's talking about some good news that's concerning Jesus Christ, but specifically about his death, burial, and resurrection. The details 
of the death, burial, and resurrection. The event has been talked about since all through. But now, what those details meant, mean, that is part of the mystery truth and the doctrine given through and to the Apostle Paul. So it's critical to understand here as we begin in, the, in, the, in this book that, that, yeah, the event of the death, burial, and resurrection, and by the way, I'm saying it like that for a very specific reason, okay? And, and I know we always say the cross work and the cross and everything, and we mean that, but Paul is going to lay out very specifically about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And uh, the, what Paul is going to give us, we call it progressive revelation, the next issue, the next set of information. But rather, really what Paul is giving us is that crowning achievement that was achieved at the cross. And that, that achievement was not made known before Paul. It was made known to Paul, then to the rest of us. So Paul's gospel begins with what happened at the cross, and it becomes the content, really, of the mystery truth of everything. The death, burial, and resurrection make up the main component of the content of the mystery truth. How can God do what he's going to do in the heavenly places? It's because of Calvary. How can he do this? It's because of that. It's because of Calvary. How can he bless us with all spiritual blessings? It's because of Calvary. And, and literally the cross becomes, that's why I said the gospel of Christ, the content, it's about the person, Jesus Christ. What did he do? What did he accomplish for the world? And that information is different than anywhere else. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John end with the cross, with the death, burial, and resurrection. The prophetic teachings, all that the prophets talk about, about the death, burial, and resurrection, <coughs> serve as the basis of the new covenant that's coming to Israel in the kingdom, and it also forms the foundation of their kingdom being established is the death, burial, and resurrection. Follow that, okay? So when we see Paul here say, and as he starts the book of Romans, and as we begin to get into some of the details here now, out of that introduction, and now we're going to get into the truth, into the doctrine, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He starts Romans with the issue of the death, burial, and resurrection. Come over to chapter 16 of, of Romans. 16 and verse 25. And again, it's good news concerning the subject, concerning the object of it all, which is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice 16.25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest. Notice, when Paul uses that term, my gospel, he's going to use it again in chapter 2. The secrets of men are judged according to my gospel. What Paul, when Paul uses that term, or he'll say the, gospel, the, the message, the gospel entrusted to me, is that he is emphasizing the uniqueness of the message. He's deliberately calling attention to the uniqueness of the message that was entrusted to him. So when he says, my gospel, this is information that has never been made known before. Now it's been made known, and it's going to concern the crowning achievement of the death, burial, and the resurrection. Think about that. Think about what, what when we say when we give the gospel. Here it is. Now he's saving how many sinners? All of them. He would have all men to be saved but, and come to the knowledge. Now all the, all the world, salvation is made available to all the world now. 
equally, yes. All of the spiritual blessings that come from the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ is made available to all them that believe. Okay? So when you talk about, when he says, my gospel, he says, that message has never been talked about before. So he's calling attention, come over to Mark 1, to the uniqueness of it. And, and the unique, the, the, the deliberate unique, <laughs> he's deliberately calling that. It, it's kind of like that thing in Romans 11 where he says, I'm going to provoke them to jealousy. And he's goading them, he's sticking them. Hey, this message was given to me and to me alone. Now, if you look at Mark 1.1, 1, 1, you have the phrase, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And outside of Paul, this is really the only place I've been able to find where that kind of terminology is used. But let's read the verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have a beginning here, don't we? We have a beginning of something. We have a beginning of some good news about Jesus Christ that is going to move through the Gospels now. And it's going to begin with the ministry of who? John the Baptist. Verse 1, the way verse 1 reads is very critical. It's not the beginning of Paul's Gospel, which is what some say, but rather it's the beginning of some good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 2, as it is written where? In the prophets. So we're gonna, there's some good news that the Gospels are going to present about Jesus Christ. And in that good news and that information that they present about the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not one word about the crowning achievement of the death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? There's not a word about it. So in Mark 1, you have the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures, the fulfillment of the prophecies that God is going to do something and that God promised to Israel in time past. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach that Christ died for their sins and was buried and rose again the third day. No, I don't think so is right. No. What did he preach? The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You see, in the Gospels, there's some good news concerning Jesus Christ according to prophecy. And the fact that when he shows up, he is Israel's Messiah. So when he says in the beginning of the Gospel of Christ, the beginning of the fulfillment of Israel's hope and Israel's promise is right here on board. So this has nothing to do with what Paul calls my gospel, or when Paul uses the term gospel of Christ. By the way, verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, what did Romans 16.25 say? It's been kept secret since the foundation. Here it's been written since, hasn't it? So when you, when you think about Paul's my gospel, and when you think about the gospel of Christ, we'll see as we go through, come over to Romans 3, that it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ shedding his blood in a sacrificial manner as the propitiation for the sins of humanity. Romans 3.25. Okay, Romans 3.25. This verse is a wonderful verse, by the way, because, and it is loaded. It, 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 it's like a six-shooter loaded with hollow-point tip ammo. It just, it is because of what it's going to tell you here. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his, what? Blood. You see, the gospel of Christ, Paul's my gospel, is going to come along and teach us that the death 
of Jesus Christ has to do with the death of the sinner. It has to do where the Son of God comes and experiences our wrath, our punishment, our second death. Okay? Then he comes along and he's going to teach us that the burial has to do with the putting away of sin. Romans 6. Then he's going to teach us that the resurrection has to do with that newness of life that we get to enjoy as trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection. Now, who prior to Paul ever taught any of that? No one did. See, and that's the point. And that's why this sits in Romans 1.16 at the very beginning of the book of Romans. It's because he goes, I am now going to talk about something that nobody back there, 44 books prior, have ever talked about. I'm going to talk about the propitiatory shedding of blood for the payment of sin. I mean, think about that. Jesus Christ died our death. He was made to be sin for us, for the world, for all of humanity. He experienced our second death. I, I, I just, that, that's just wonderful. Then he came along and he was buried. And the burial of Jesus Christ is that fully putting away of the power of sin in our life. It's been fully put away. It's been fully dealt with. And then he comes along and he says, you know, that resurrection, humanity now can enjoy the newness of life. And again, prior to Paul, no one ever preached that. No one ever looked at that. No one ever paid attention to it. Now, where, where are, you, are you guys in Romans 3? Look back at Romans 16, 25, just briefly, because I want to put something in the back of your mind as we kind of go back and look at a few things here leading up to, and, and hopefully you see why Paul starts Romans in 116 about, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Where's the power of God in regards to salvation, justification, being, being set free from the debt and the penalty of sin? Where does it rest? In the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And he's bringing that up to a point because in verse 17, verse 18 of chapter 1, he's going to roll out the wrath. And he's going to start talking about the unrighteous. And he's going to start talking about the heathen. Then he's going to talk about the moralizer guys, the religious nuts. Then he's going to nail the Jews. See, we're moving into the courtroom. And I try to tell you, we're in a courtroom. Paul's getting, This is his opening statement here. Look at 1625. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ are all according to what? The revelation of the mystery. Okay? So Paul's information and how we're now going to preach Jesus Christ are all according to the revelation of the mystery. So come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Just notice some things here because what happens is... is and, and I look around the room, and most of you guys are right on board, and I don't, I'm not trying to convince you, but just put some ammo in the, in the shotgun because you have people bring this stuff up, and they say, oh, no, it's just a continuation of what the 12 apostles were doing back over there. Oh, no, it started in Acts 2. Oh, no, it really doesn't start till Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 28 or Mark 16. Oh, no, the Lord started it. Don't, can't you read Mark 1, 1? Don't you know the beginning is over there? The gospel of Christ is beginning over there. That's why we looked at it, by the way. Because people use that. Look at 1 Peter 1, a very, a very abused passage by people who don't understand. Verse 9, 1, 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls... 
of which salvations the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Now that grace there, see they'll say that is the dispensation of grace, and it's not. It's the grace associated with the new covenant. It's the new covenant issues. Keep reading. 11. By the way, I want you to catch something on how, and what Paul, Peter is saying here. They, in verse 10, they have inquired and what? Searched. Verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us that they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Do, do you see? Peter is talking about the prophetic program, okay? And he's talking about the prophets. But what were they doing? They were searching. And you know what they were finding? They were finding the passages about the sufferings of Christ. That's Calvary. They were reading Psalms 22, which, by the way, handles the sufferings and the glory in one chapter. Okay? They were reading Isaiah. They were reading all the prophets as they begin to talk about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, they weren't understanding it. That's why they were looking into it. But they were looking into information that was there about the cross. They were searching it. It was knowable. But there was something missing, that crowning achievement was missing. Peter is concerned about something that is searchable in the prophets. Paul says, my message is what? Unsearchable. You can't find the unsearchable riches of the grace of God. You, unsearch, you can't find what I'm talking about back there. You can find the details. Come back over to Matthew 16. You can find the details all day long. They're there. How do you know that? Well, the Lord's going to tell them. The Lord's going to go quote some passages for them. <laughs> He's going to bring them up to speed here, Matthew 16. And the problem is, is they're not going to quite get it, you know. Matthew 16, start in verse 16. Matthew 16, 16. <clears throat> You see, Peter was concerned about something that he could go and read about and find out about. First Peter is written after the Calvary. Peter's been through the 40-day seminar. He's been brought up to speed in what's going on. He's had his eyes of understanding opened to what the prophetic scriptures. And he, he says, hey, this stuff is searchable. It's right there. They were looking into it. The angels were looking into it. Matthew 16, 16. <coughs> and Simon Peter answered, the Lord has asked him, you know, who, who, do you guys, who do men say I am? Then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father which is... Peter, you got it right. Who am I, Pete? He goes, man, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Peter, you got who I am, right? Peter got it. Peter understood who he was. Peter had it nailed. Now drop down to verse 21. 21. From that time forth. Now that is a critical phrase. That means prior to this time, this, the Lord never talked about Dying and going to the cross. From that time forth, next word, began. Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Who am I, Pete? You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And he goes, okay, I got to tell you guys about some things now that I haven't been talking about prior, I got to go do 
Now watch verse 22. Then Peter took him. That's, that's critical. The Lord's talking to him. Peter comes up and says, hey, you come over here for a minute. We're going to talk. He took him. Grabbed him by the hand. Grabbed him by the elbow. Moved him. He took him. And he said unto him, uh, he, uh, and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Notice Peter knows who he is. He's who? He's the Son of God. Ain't nobody going to kill you. How dare you be talking about going up there and dying in Jerusalem and be raised the third day? See, Peter dismissed the, the, the truth. He didn't get the doctrine in verse 21. And be raised again the third day. You see, had Peter caught on that he said, I'm going to be raised the third day, and understood what that meant, he would not have grabbed him by the arm and moved him into a private rebuke, which wasn't very private, okay? You see, Peter wasn't getting it. He didn't catch on to it. It went right over his head. Poor Peter. Peter gets a bad rap. But now watch the Lord's response. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things, but those that be of men. Hey, Pete, that kind of thinking in verse 22 is satanic thinking. That thing about me not going and dying, that way of thinking belongs to Satan. That's not proper thinking, Timothy or Peter. Now, Paul, hold, hold on to hold on to Matthew. Run over to 1 Corinthians two. That ring a bell? 1 Corinthians two. What's Paul say? 1 Corinthians two. Verse six. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. Who's that? Satan, the adversaries. For had they known it, known what? The hidden wisdom of God, the crowning achievement of the death, burial, and resurrection, of what, he, what all of that meant that how it was now going to move to the world with all on an equal footing <laughs> to save the sinner, to put away the issues of sin, to give them a newness of life. What would, what would, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, the Lord told Peter, thinking about me not going and dying is thinking like the devil thinks. And Paul says, had they been thinking, paying attention to... If they had known, why did God keep the mystery a mystery? Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 2, 8. That's why he kept the mystery a mystery. Because if, if Satan had known that God's intent was to come over here and to form the church, the body of Christ, he would have fought tooth and nail not to allow the Lord to be crucified. But the Lord did what? He kept a secret. Then when he revealed it to, I think the most shocked creature on the road to Damascus was the adversary. Paul's a close second. Was the adversary going, uh-oh, what just happened there? What did I do? And the very thing that is his demise, ultimately is the thing that he enters into Judas to cause to be done and, is all, and had his hands in it from the day one. And in Matthew 16, when the Lord rebukes Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. He's talk, Peter's, Peter knows who the Lord is. There is nobody going to kill you, Lord. You're the son of God. But he missed that little thing about and being raised the third day. The end of verse 21. 
when the ladies come, come over to Luke uh, 18. When the ladies go and visit the grave, and they run back and tell Peter and John, and they, John and them go up, they didn't believe them because they still didn't have the scriptures, John says, in their understanding. They still weren't on board. They had thought that, every, that the Roman government had took him. And they said, hey, just bring, give us back his body. We'll take care of him. See, they thought someone came in and stole him. Because they, didn't, they were in unbelief. Um, they didn't have that scriptures solidified yet. Luke 18, verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Okay? What was written by the prophets that he's going to go accomplish? For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on. They shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. There's Psalms, there's Isaiah. And they understood none of these things. And the saying was, Hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. They were walking in some unbelief, weren't they? they? It was hid from them. The prophets talk about the cross. They talk about the death, burial, and resurrection. But what they don't talk about is the impact on humanity that that event is going to have. And you know what Paul says? <coughs> I do. My gospel is going to tell you the impact of the death, burial, and resurrection. Come over to Acts chapter 2. Excuse me while I try not to cough on, into the mic. <coughs> I told you I'm at the end of this cold and it's running down the back of my throat like all 40 right now because I'm talking and you open up those ears and, you know, it's like, forget about it. <laughs> this is the figurative one, you know. Just, I, I think about Archie Bunker when he does that gun thing, you know. So, Acts chapter 2. Now, in Acts 2, we're, we're past the cross, aren't we? We're past the resurrection. Peter and the, the Lord has spent uh, 40 days with them. He's, he's speaking to them about things about the kingdom and what's going on. He's opening their eyes of their understanding about what the cross means, about the new covenant and the kingdom program, and how all that's going to work now, and how the cross is ultimately the foundation of the kingdom being established and the new covenant being established. How do you know that? The book of Hebrews. That's what Hebrews does. Hebrews comes in and says, hey, you see Calvary? Here's what it means for for us, the nation of Israel. And guess what? It is a better sacrifice. It is a better, and he's like eight times better, 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 better. Why? Because Calvary, he died for them once and once for all. That's where we get that, that quote from, is out of Hebrews. And here's the establishment of the new covenant. There's Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. And here's the kingdom's going to be established on that. They got, they got that understanding rolling around in their heads. So Peter stands, verse 22. Ye men of Israel. Notice who we're talking to. Israel. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken... And by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Notice Peter's, Peter understands what's going on, and he says nothing about the cross being a good thing. 
Rather, he's indicting Israel here, isn't he? Of doing what? Of killing the Messiah. You killed him. Peter says that Israel, you and the Roman government, the Gentiles, you guys by wicked hands killed him. Isn't that interesting? Peter accuses Israel of killing the Messiah. Now, hold on to here real quick. Run over to Romans 3. Look who Paul tells us killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Had Christ go to Calvary. Romans 3.25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Do you see who Paul said killed the Lord Jesus Christ? God the Father did it. Peter says Israel did it. And the Gentiles did it. Paul comes along and says, yeah, but it was really the Father doing it. Isn't that interesting? Peter doesn't say, he, you go back, go back to Acts 2. Peter will never say that the Father killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that. Who was going on, what was going on behind the scenes was the hand of the Godhead was involved. Not just merely men. Chapter 2, verse 24, Whom God hath raised up and hath loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the, law, the Lord always on my, before my face, for he was on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Peter's going to talk about the resurrection now. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Notice Peter says that the resurrection has to do with him sitting on a throne, not bringing spiritual blessings to humanity. Isn't that in, I, I, That's fascinating. Paul says, hey, you want to know about the spiritual blessings? Woohoo, I'll tell you about them. Peter says, no. He was raised to sit on a throne. Come over to chapter 3. Peter again, he just healed the, the lame man. 3.12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel you at this? For or why look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he deliver, ye delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God has set hath raised from the dead, thereof we are witnesses. Boy, look at Peter, get him. But notice something. He says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Our fathers. Romans 15, 8, over there, Paul says that Jesus Christ was a minister to the of the circumcision to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Peter drags them back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul takes us back to Genesis to the Father. Fascinating. Peter, he's stuck. So Paul is no way a continuation of these guys. You keep reading there, verse 16, and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man whole, whom ye see and know, Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so filled, 
fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins, what? May be blotted out. Paul says we have the forgiveness of sins. Peter's talking about a future forgiveness in that kingdom over there at the time of refreshing. See, my, my point, folks, chapter 4, is that when Paul says the gospel of Christ, he says, my gospel. He's, not, he's drawing out a unique message given to him, and he's drawing a contrast right in the very beginning of the book of Romans, where you're going to have to rightly divide your Bible. Not a continuation of, but rather something new now. And new to the point where it's going now, here is what the crowning achievement of the death, burial, and resurrection was all about. So we're going to start, and we're going to lay in that doctrine so that you understand that, hey, when you talk about the gospel with someone, you're not talking about another gospel. You're talking about the gospel that Paul calls my gospel, that he calls the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the good news about the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he accomplished. Matthew, I'm sorry, Acts 4, if you look at verse 8, Peter, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And he quotes the passage back there out of Isaiah. Paul's going to pick it up in Romans 9, 10, and 11 and say they stumbled on that stone. And they did it because of unbelief. Again, Peter is indicting the nation of Israel. The cross was not a good thing. Come over to chapter 5. Of Acts chapter 5, verse 28. Acts 5 28. Here's typical response of the religious system, right here. <clears throat> verse 27 And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. <laughs> Boy, that is the typical response of religion. We told you to knock it off and you're trying to indict us. But by the way, in Matthew 27, what did they say? This man's blood be on us. Yeah. Oh, forget about what we said back then. This is the new update. I posted that thing on Facebook about that mega church canceling their healing programs because of the coronavirus. It's like, really? You'd think that would be in full swing, you know? They didn't want to have the big gatherings, so we canceled. I'm like, what? Exactly, you know? That'll show you, won't it? Verse 29. Acts 5, 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on the tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You and I, folks, we have forgiveness. He's going to give it to them out there in that future event. Again, Peter, the next book, Acts 6, they're born. 7, you have the stoning of Stephen. 8, you've got Saul and Philip outdoing. Then in 9, you have the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. And then in Romans 1, verse 16, right after getting all the howdy duties out of the way, what does he say? We're going to talk about the gospel of Christ, and I'm going to give you the crowning achievement of the death, burial, and resurrection. 
Now come to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6. Peter, not so, Lord. You're not going to die. They ain't going to take you. He actually pulls the sword in the garden, whacking, he, you know. The Lord said, hey, I'm leaving. You guys are going to have to buy a sword. We were studying this in Romans 10. I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew 10 the other night. And he said, there's going to be a time when you're going to have to buy. And, and they're like, well, hey, Lord, there's two swords. And he's like, one's enough. You don't, you know, you don't need two, you know. I, I figured that, that got away from the double, you know, you don't need two holstered guns, you know, quick draw, you know. But what's going on? Peter, no, it ain't going to happen. What does Paul say? Roman, Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. I am a debtor to the world. I got the message, man. And you know what? I go out there and I preach Christ crucified. Why? Because that's the crowning achievement. The death and the burial and the resurrection. I'm going to glory in the cross now. Come back to chapter 1 of Galatians. It's fascinating. Peter says, you guys killed it. Killed him. Paul says, the father did. Galatians 1, verse 11 and 12. We're, we're almost done. If you're not, I am. <laughs> I need a half hour to catch back up. Verse 11, Paul says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting how that reads? The revelation of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself communicated with Paul, no one else. What's even fascinating, more fascinating, is you drop down there to verse 15, but when it pleased God, the Father, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me. Isn't that fascinating? So not only does the Lord Jesus Christ meet Paul on the road to Damascus, but it's the Father's plan to cause it to be done. And it's to reveal his Son in me. So he has direct communication from the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. As, they, as he communicates the truth and the doctrine that's going to make up my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And then the Lord looks at Paul and says, now go tell Peter. Now it's time for Peter to understand. So what do we have in chapter 2 of Galatians? Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by how? Revelation, and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat, what's, whosoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. You know, that's a change. Because God did accept the person before. Now everyone's equal. What does he say? For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, what do they do? Verse 8, they give them the right hands of fellowship. We're going to go out here to the heathen. That's the unsaved world, Jew and Gentile. We'll talk to them. Peter's going to stay home with the circumcision and get them ready for when this program ends. So when you come into Romans 1, 16, and you get the, you know, there's, <clears throat> you look at this passage and there's, you know, the big four, F-O-R of Paul. <clears throat> for I'm not ashamed, for therein is righteousness, for the wrath of God. You know, and everybody dissects it down. We did the debtor, the ready, and the not ashamed, and everything. But you begin to miss, hey, why is verse 16 sit right there? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To who? Everyone. There's a change. So if you know nothing about right division, and you are simply reading your Bible, faithfully, honestly, reading the Word, you know what you just found out? Something changed. And you do it, really, with the first word of the book, Paul, but just in case you're a little dense, now we're going to talk about the gospel, and now it's to everyone. You just read Acts, <coughs> and Peter is, he's indictment running all over him. Now Paul says, we're going to talk about it to everyone that believes. And that crowning achievement, I, by the way, I caught that phrase, Alex Kurz used it. The crowning achievement of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Let's go talk about that and that impact that it had on all of humanity. So then he, that's what's, that is literally what the next eight chapters is going to be all about. Because if it wasn't for Calvary, none of it could be accomplished. Okay? All right. We're going to look next time, Lord willing, hopefully, and no more pandemic. If not, and you can't come, I'll be here. We'll do it over the Internet, okay? We'll look at that issue about the Jew first and also to the Greek because that's an argument that many like to have, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks that are here, for the folks that are online, for the folks that uh, will catch this later in the YouTube. We thank you for them, their faithfulness, and for the study. And for the beginning to understand what you ultimately achieved at Calvary. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.